Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me, if you would, to two openings. Turn, first of all, to Joshua 24, and then turn to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Joshua 24 and Proverbs 22. Now, I uh, set this up a little earlier talking to the parents uh, today, and this, is, this message is not just for the parents who dedicated children today, but all parents and grandparents. Because what I want to talk to you about is so uh, important in your child, your grandchild. You say, well, I don't have children or grandchildren. Well, if you're an aunt or an uncle, uh, any, any relationship with children, that you have children that you care about, that, that are family related to you, that you have influence uh, in their lives. Making sure your children, and I'll just, I'll just talk to parents, but you understand I'm talking to, to extended to everybody this would apply to. Making sure your children are saved and are one day gonna be in heaven is more important than anything else in life. The apostle Paul talked about his love for Israel and he said, I, I almost could desire myself to be accursed for Israel's sake, that they would be saved. Every parent knows what I'm talking about. You love your children more than you love your own life. There's mo- nothing more important than ensuring your children grow up and have Jesus on the inside of them, that they're genuinely saved and filled with the Spirit and living a godly life and are bringing fruit, bringing forth fruit for God. There's nothing more important and there's nothing more rewarding in life. I can tell you, my wife and I, absolutely, there's no question. The fact that both of our sons are are serving God that they have godly wives and are raising godly children is worth more than, there's no amount of money can even come close to the, the, the satisfaction and the, and, the, and the thankfulness we have for God for that. And so what I want to say today, and I, and I made this statement, and it'll, it'll sound uh, overly strong. It'll sound like maybe it can't be so. But I'm here to tell you that every parent who knows God has an absolute, there is a plan in the scriptures put in place for you to have absolute certainty that your child will live, grow up, know Christ, be genuinely born again, filled with the spirit, love God and walk with God all the days of their life and go into adulthood and live a fruitful life for God. You can absolutely be sure of that. Now, I want to read, first of all, from Proverbs 22, verse number six. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what that simply means, if you, if you do 
what God says in his word, if you'll obey the word of God and live by faith, your child will live for God all of his days. Now, the reason I emphasize that so much is I came from a, a church background where we read this scripture every time we dedicated babies, but we didn't believe it. We believed something else. We thought we were believing that scripture, but we, we, actually, we actually quoted it. We quoted it as it's written, but in our mind, we, re- we heard it a different way, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. It might help if I, if I do this. Go over to uh, Joshua 24. Joshua 24. And I think we'll read a few more verses than we normally read because uh, I think it'll help explain what I'm talking about. In verse one, one, this was, now this was at the end of Joshua's life, just before he died. Joshua had led the children of Israel. Joshua had taken over from Moses. How would you like that assignment? To follow Moses. Joshua followed Moses. Moses was not able to bring the children of Israel into Canaan. That assignment was given to Joshua. And so Joshua stood before the children of Israel and led them in all of their conquests as they came into Canaan and took the land of promise. Joshua led them into this. And this is at the end, and Joshua is a book of triumph. It's a book of of victory. Joshua is a book of conquest. It's a book of God's faithfulness, how the people of God stood and did what God said and God worked miracles for them. He drove people out. He drove the enemy out for them and established them in the land of promise. It's a very powerful book. The book that follows is not so much so. The book of Judges is largely a book of defeat. The book of Judges is a book of the people who promised to live for God, but they backslid. And they backslid over and over and over. And what would happen is they would backslide. They would come into bondage. They would be overrun by their enemies. And God would raise up a powerful judge in Israel to call them back to the truth. They would repent. They would turn to God and God would deliver them and they would promise to never do it again. And before the the day was out almost, you could say they had turned their back on God again. And this this cycle went over and over and over in the book of Judges. So with that in mind, knowing ahead of time, let's read what Joshua said here at the end of his life. Joshua, verse one, he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before God. Let's skip over to verse 15. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, choose this day. Do you know you choose today? You're making a choice. I'm talking to everybody in this building. You're making a choice today. So, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something different down the road. One day, I'm going to make a consecration. One day, I'm going to sell out to God. You just made a decision to not serve God. 
You just made a decision. You just made a decision. You're saying, I'm going to, but you don't have the promise of tomorrow. And every time you say, I'm going to, the next time it's easier to say, I'm going to. You're making a decision today. That's what Joshua was saying. He said, choose today who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods of Egypt? Are you going to serve the gods of Canaan? Are you going to serve the Lord? And then Joshua made this statement. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now notice that the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We also serve the Lord for he is our God. We, no, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and, and serve other gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. See, they, they were already going the wrong direction. While they were promising that they were gonna live for the Lord, they still had foreign gods in their tents. When they said this, <clears throat> the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. And then it talks about how shortly after that Joshua died. But like I said, the book of Judges is not the book of victory that the book of Joshua was. In fact, uh, look, at, look at verse 31. This is in, in verse 32. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now notice, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then it talks about uh, his, Joshua's burial. It says that, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. In other words, the other, this, he's talking about the first generation and the second generation. He said they served God in the first generation and they served God in the second generation. But after that, things went south. I've experienced that. In other words, not experienced, but I've seen that firsthand. Growing up, my wife and I have been, we, my wife and I both come from a heritage of dedicated Christians. 
You've heard my story. My grandparents, Angela's grandparents, were part of that first generation of Pentecostals. There was an, a new move of God in the, in the early 1900s. And our parents got saved in that revival and filled with the Holy Spirit and established themselves and, and our parents helped contribute to the establishing of some of those first Pentecostal churches. My parents, second generation. My generation, third generation. And I have seen firsthand how it happens that truths are not passed down ordinarily like they ought to be and like they could be. And, and it's, it, history proves it so that the second generation sometimes just doesn't catch everything the first generation had. They might have the teachings, but sometimes they don't have the fire. The third generation will have less of the teaching and less of the fire. And I'm telling you, by the fourth generation, it's devastation. That's history. That is history. It doesn't have to be that way. Joshua made this statement. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, as for me and my house. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his offspring. He's talking about his children, his grandchildren. He's even talking about his hired hands that lived in the house. He said, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knew what was gonna happen to most of the children of Israel. He knew it. You can see it in, his, in, in what he said to them. But he also knew something that, about his own life and about what he had the power to do in his own home. When, when my wife and I, well, when I first got back into fellowship with the Lord, I got back into fellowship with the Lord before uh, Angela did. And we had a two-year-old son. He, he was almost two at the time. He turned two shortly thereafter. When I started going back to church, he was just, just a little over two years old. And I sold out. I mean, I was 100% sold out to God. And when I got a hold of the message of faith, when I found out how faith works, somebody put some Kenneth E. Hagin books in my hands about what faith is how faith works, how to turn your faith loose, the power of confessing the word of God. When I got a hold of the, tr the truths of, of how faith works, I knew without anybody ever telling me or without any instruction, I knew that I could declare my son did the same thing when Greg came along a couple years later. Now, Angela wasn't a part of this at the time because she wasn't serving God. But Steve, he was a little over two years old and I took him up in my arms. When I, when I saw that I could have what I believe in my heart and say with my mouth, I took him up in my arms and I said, I thank you, Father, for this son. And I thank you, Lord, that he will be saved. He will live for God all of his life. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll grow into adulthood to be a stalwart, strong, committed man of God. When Greg came along a couple years later, the two of us did the same thing. We took him up in our arms and we said, Lord, this, is your, this, is this child you blessed us with. And, and I thank you, Father, that I have the assurance from your word 
that this child, this son, will grow up and live all of his life for God. He'll never be away from God. He'll make the right decisions. He'll love you. He'll serve you. He'll grow up and be a great man of God. Both of my sons have turned out that way. It is not luck. I'm not just a lucky parent. Now, I said this in the, in the church I grew up in. We would read Proverbs 22 every time we dedicated children. We'd always say, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. But we didn't, we didn't interpret it that way. We interpreted it to mean that basically this was a general principle, sort of like seed time and harvest. You know, you reap what you sow. But in the natural realm, you don't always reap what you sow. Sometimes you plant, you know, uh, a half acre and you get a quarter of an acre. Have you ever had seed not come up? See, there's a general principle of seed time and, and harvest. Everything reproduces after its own kind, but there's a curse in the earth. There's a curse in the earth, and because there's a curse in the earth, it, 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 it might not work 100 out of 100 times because some seed's not any good. Some soil's not any good. There are a lot of things that can enter in. Well, most, most people understand that it's a general principle. If you plant something, that's what you're going to get, but you don't always get that. Well, that transfers over in spiritual things too. A lot of times we think, well, you know, we can plant certain things, but we might not really, a lot of people are really hoping not to get a harvest on some things. <laughs> well, I know so-and-so and they've lived a terrible life and they've planted some terrible seed and look at them, they flourish on every hand. Galatians says, you cannot mock God. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Make no mistake out about it. Well, when it comes to children, see, I was raised in a, in a, in a, a third generation and we had a lot of wayward children. My generation, even in my parents' generation, which were the second generation. My, not all of my grandparents Served God. Not all of my grandparents' children, my aunts and uncles, my, my, my grandmother had, she had 13 children, but only 10 of them lived, you know, past infancy. And so the 10 that grew up, not all of them lived for God. I had an aunt who was a complete drunkard all of my life, as long as I knew her. She was just an alcoholic and a drunkard. Raised in, a, in, a, in the same home my mama was raised in. So not all of my, grand, my grandparents Children, so on my father's side, same thing. I had an aunt. It was just the, the black sheep of the family. She never served God. We saw that in our church. And here's the thing. There was this idea about preacher's kids. Preacher's kids had a terrible reputation. And a lot of people still believe that today. Well, see, the preacher's kids, they're the worst ones. Well, if they are the worst ones, it's only because they hang out with the deacon's kids. That's, if, they're, if they're the worst, it's because of the people they hang out with. No, that's not true. But it, it, see, it see, because the pastor's child sometimes didn't live for God, that kind of stood out. And so I think the un 
conscious reasoning was, well, you know, if pastor can't even get it right, you know he lived right, you know he presented things right, you know he did everything right, and his children turned out to be devils. I mean, there was, a, there was a pastor's son in the city that I, now not in my church, but in our denomination, one of our churches on, on uh, the other side of town, actually on the same side of town I was on, but further out. They had a, ch- a son who was a murderer. He murdered somebody, went to prison. Well, I think he, he got tried. I don't remember whatever happened, but he, but he, he was accused of, of murder. I guess, I guess he, I don't remember what happened. I was pretty young. A murderer, son of a Pentecostal preacher, murderer. That happened in in my own family. A cousin, a first cousin of mine, did 30 years in prison for murder. Raised in the same church I was raised in. And and my cousin, first cousin. So there was, we used the scripture, but we really didn't believe it. We, we thought it was more of a general idea that if you do things right, what, what we thought this said was train up a child in the way he's go, he should go and keep your fingers crossed. That's not what this says. We also read it like this, raise up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, even if he does leave, he will come back. That's not what that says. This says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from them. Doesn't say he'll go out and sow his, his wild oats like I did. Backslide like I did. Come on. That's not what it says. There are two, there are two important keys here for making certain that your children will live for God all of their lives. One is faith and the other one is obedience. Faith and obedience. See, they're, they're, you, you, you have to train your children and you have to set a godly example for them. But you also have to believe God. There was a, I saw it in my sister's life. I had a, I had a brother and two sisters. My younger sister passed away when she was 14, but I'm talking about my grown sister. I saw it and still see it today where her children are concerned. She's always lived with a certain amount of fear where her children are concerned that maybe they wouldn't turn out right, that maybe they wouldn't love God, that maybe they wouldn't serve God with all of their heart. And they have struggled because of that. When I I found out about faith, and I had already sold out to God, When I found out faith and I found out the authority of my words and I can have what I say and that God will give me the desires of of my heart, when I saw that, I never one day ever, not one time ever since then, when Greg was a baby and when Steve was was two years old, not one moment since then have I ever entertained the thought that my kids wouldn't, wouldn't grow up always knowing God and live for God. Not one minute have I ever entertained that. I've not even been, even been, even been uh, I've not even battled with it because it was something that I settled. But see, most of my generation and even my parents, they didn't have that settled. Now, they did have the sold out life. And you can have a sold out life, but if you miss it where faith is concerned, your children can be, can be uh, destroyed because of your lack of faith. 
If you have it where faith is concerned, but you don't back it up with a sold out life that you set before your children, you can still see destruction in your kids. There were two, my best friends growing up in church, two guys. One was the pastor's son. Now, the pastor was sold out. He was a godly man. There's not any question in my mind that he failed to live a godly life, he and his wife, before his children. He had two sons. The youngest one was my best friend, one of my best friends. There's not any question in my mind, no question. Because Gary and I were such close friends, I spent a lot of time in his house. We would sleep over and, and hang out. I, would just, I was over there a lot. So I interacted with the family, he and his older brother. There's no question in my mind that the Braddocks were sold out to God and that, and that the pastor and his wife set the right example. No question. But Gary didn't grow up to live for God. He backslid, backslid like I did, but he didn't come back until he was nearly 60 years old. I preached his funeral a few years ago. He was my best friend. He was 60 one or something or something about, about that age. And he had gotten back into fellowship with the Lord right before he died. But he had lived his entire life, his entire adult life. He back said the same time I did. We were partners in crime. He never came back to God. He lived his, up until the, until the very end, he lived his entire life a selfish pursuing his own agenda, pursuing his own plan for his life, no regard for God's plan for his life. He lived that way just his whole life. He left nothing behind. He, he had one son who, we, who he was estranged from, never, never saw, never had a relationship with. And I can't, I don't know everybody. There might be, an, there might be an, uh, an exception of this, but generally speaking, I don't think there's anybody or not very many who would ever point to Gary Braddock and say, because of him, I'm serving God today. I don't think he has that testimony. I mean, he, he didn't grow that way. He didn't, he didn't live that way. I'm not saying that he didn't maybe witness to somebody and, and someone maybe along the way that he had an influence on, but by and large, he took no fruit to heaven. Now, his parents set the right example, but they didn't back it up by faith. You say, well, how do you know? Because I can see the results. Faith has results. My other best friend, now I didn't, he, he, he actually was in the same church that I was in, was a member. He and his family came to church and had been coming for several years. I didn't meet him until the middle of the 10th grade because he, he came to church so seldom. I didn't even know he came to church. At my, I didn't even know him. Now, we didn't have a 1,000-member church. It was about a 350. Our attendance on Sunday morning was about 350 people. I knew all of the youth. I knew I was in the 10th grade. I knew everybody. And, I'm, and I met this guy, and I knew that he went to, to the high school I went. Now, the other friend, Gary, didn't go to the same school I went to. He went to a different high school. But this guy, his name was Chuck. He went to the same school I went to, and I knew him from school, but I didn't even know he went to church, in my church. And on, on New Year's Eve, we had a, a, a New Year's watch night service in 1967, and, and Gary and I went to it. You know, of course, we didn't, we didn't enter in. We were backslid. We hung out in the fellowship hall. We didn't even go in for the prayer service. We just hung out, you know, and was just goofing off. And, and we met this other guy. Come to find out, he'd been, he, his parents had come to our church. 
He came so, actually his mom came, but his dad didn't. His dad, didn't, his dad never came to church. So his mother came to church. So Chuck came occasionally, but he never participated with the youth. He was not invited. I didn't know him. He said, oh yeah, I go to church here. Well, it's news to me. The three of us, the three of us became very good friends that night and, and, and going on from that, we were inseparable. He's lived his entire, now, now here's an example, no faith and no backup at home. No godly example at home. He, by his own admission, we, we, we reconnected just uh, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago on Facebook. He reached out to me. We were best friends. By his own admission, he says, I have lived a lecherous life. He's chased skirts all of his life, been with many women, married three times, all failed marriages. Uh, he did a, a, a short stint in prison. He and, I, he and I particularly, even more than Gary, were, were probably closer, the two of us. I was in so many situations with him where I should have been arrested, where, the, where drugs were involved, the police were there, and somehow I just walked away and he didn't. This, I mean, he, he did with me several times, but then a couple of occasions he got, he got in the trap. And I just for some reason wasn't there. He did time in prison. His life has been such a, a, a and he, he's alive today. He doesn't serve God, doesn't live for God. What, what was the difference in my life? My parents somehow presented a life in front of me that, that spoke to me. And when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I got a hold of the message of faith for myself. Gary never did that. He never got a hold of this message. It changed my life. And, and I saw that it, and see, I had seen that pattern played out with my parents and my aunts and uncles and people all in the church. I'd seen this. I've told you before that when I got back into fellowship with the Lord in 1972, there was a revival going on among the youth of that church. The reason there was a revival going on was because I found out after I'd been, been back a year or so, some of the ladies in the church that I had been raised in and had left, some of the ladies in the church had become so concerned over the number of young people who grew up in that church and then walked away. Never darkened the door of church again. Once they graduated from high school, they left. I was one of them. There was quite a few in our, in our age group. Soon as you know, they were cut free from, from the requirements of home, we were out of there. The, the ladies in the church were so concerned about this, they started praying for a revival among the young people. And, and the revival came to that church. And when I got back into fellowship with the Lord and started going back to church, that revival was going on. But you know, the problem is most of those other young people never made it back. I can think of name after name after name and haven't lived for God. You can't afford to gamble like that. That maybe by the grace of God, things will be different. I, I determined as a, as a young parent, I'm not giving up my children. I'm not gonna live my life and go to heaven and, and, and not have my children with me. 
I'm just not, I'm not willing to do that. Now, how, how did I do that? How did I have that faith? How, where, did I, where did that come from? Nobody taught me that. We have it right here. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this wasn't just positive thinking and positive talking. Most people view that as just a real, that's a real good positive statement. You ought to say that. That sounds good. That, that'll, that'll, that'll make you feel good. Positive thinking and positive talking only have natural power to affect future events. It's the biblical confession of faith in the word of God that has supernatural power. Joshua's words were more than hopeful. Joshua's words were more than positive. Joshua's words were more than bravado. You know, I, I hear a lot of people sometimes making statements and on the inside of it, they sound so good. They sound like statements of faith. And sometimes on the inside of me, I detect there's not an ounce of faith behind that. It's an empty confession. Oh, it sounds good to the, to the, to the natural ear. But, but a statement that's not based on revelation. If you don't know it on the inside because the Spirit of God has, has, has made it a part of you. and I'm not talking about revealed it to you in the sense that it's some kind of a secret, but made it real to you. If that's not a part of you, you can make all the positive statements you want to, and I'm telling you, they'll not necessarily come to pass. Joshua, on the other hand, was the same man, like I said, he followed Moses. He, he was the man that led the armies of Israel in their conquest of, 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 of Jericho and all the other cities that they took. He's the man that stood up and said to the sun and the moon, stand still in the sky. And it stood still for an entire day. That's who said this. This was a man of faith. When, when Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, it had as much authority behind it. I mean, it, it had as much authority as the day he spoke to the sun and the moon and said, stand still. And it came to a screeching halt. The planet just stopped. <laughs> well, Joshua's statements, his, his statement was a bold statement of faith. But you know what? Without a covenant right to believe it, it would have been no more than a spiritual air castle. In other words, if Joshua just said it because he thought it and wanted it and decided he would say it, that wouldn't have produced. It produced because he had a covenant right to what he said. See, Joshua knew something that, that, that my parents and sometimes even my grandparents didn't fully understand. They didn't understand that we have a covenant right where our children are concerned. Do you realize that? Do you realize as a, as a Christian parent, you, got, you have a covenant right. It's not, it's not maybe, it's not I hope so. It's not if you roll the dice and it all turns out right, then God's been good to you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I want to share, and I don't, obviously didn't get into it all today, but I'm going to come back here tonight. And I'm going to continue tonight and probably next week too. You have a covenant right. Yeah. A covenant right, an absolute ironclad covenant promise from God. And I'll show it to you in the word of God. That if you do the things that God says to do, your children, you can, be, you can have the same assurance I had 
all the days of my children's lives and still have today. Where the issue will be settled. Glory to God. And I, and I look around this church and I look at Lizzie. She's here because Stephen Kendra had this same revelation. I look at Joby. He's here because uh, Dan and Melanie had this same, gener- uh, this same re- I look at Jordan back there. He's here because his parents had this same revelation. I look at, at, at Joan over here. She's here because her parents had that same revelation. This thing will work if you have this truth in your heart. And if you don't have it, it really is a roll of the dice where your kids are concerned. And I don't know about you, but I think you would agree my kids are way more important than take a chance on whether or not they're gonna ever be saved or not or live for God for that matter. I can't afford or I can't afford a chance. I'm not interested in a chance. This is way too important. And the reason this second generation is in this church today and are raising their children for Christ is because of their parents. The reason Drew is on the front row and Tim somewhere and they're raising their children, he's next door working with children is because Doug and Lori got a hold of this as the first generation and the second generation is reaping the benefits. You, 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 you young adults that I pointed out, you're here because of their faith and their obedience and to live for God and to, and to set the right example. If you'll do the same thing, you'll have the same results they had. If you don't do the same thing, you, 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 I can't promise it. I can't promise it. Well, praise the Lord. The good news is, it's not, like I said this morning, it's not something far away. It's not some, listen, it's not about being the best parent. None of the parents I just mentioned, none of them would say, now wait a minute, pastor, we were great parents, we did everything right. Not a one of them would say that. Then we, if they did, we'd have to have another altar call this morning. <laughs> Including us, my wife and me. We, our children are not serving God because we were the best parents. They're serving God because of, we, we did two things. We set consistent godly lives, examples of consistent godly lives. What is a consistent godly life? You, you, you live for God and the thing, and I'll go into more detail, the things of God are number one in your home and more important than anything else. Doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that, that God is more important than anything else. Am I telling the truth? Steve and Kendra and those of you, you know what I'm talking about. And we, and we believed it. We simply believed if we would do that, God would see to it that our children would follow in our footsteps. That's not that hard, folks. It's way easier than being the best parent. i tell you that. It's way easier than being the perfect mom and perfect dad. Glory to God. It's within everybody's grasp. Hallelujah. God intends the Christian faith be passed from generation to generation and and certainly then evangelize outside of that. But what good is it to evangelize the world and lose our own families? That's not the will of God. The will of God is to start something in the home and 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 it flourish generation after generation just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Glory to God. Now, like, now I said this. I'm going to continue this tonight. Some of you might say, well, I don't come to church on Sunday night. Well, don't come. You just failed the first test. 
I'm, listen, I'm not being smart. But particularly if you're a parent, if you're a parent, well, I don't come to church on Sunday night. Well, you know, you just, you just, you're failing, you're failing right out of the gate because you're not setting the right kind of example. Well, I don't like the way you say that. Well, you know, I can, I have to be honest with you. It's my job to tell you the truth. If the salvation of your child or your grandchild or your niece or nephew is not important enough to come and hear more about it, you know, then that says everything needs to be said. Amen. So I'll continue this tonight and I'll, and I'll continue it, the Lord willing, next Sunday and we'll just see. But I tell you what, there's so much promise. There is so much promise. It is so tremendous. It is so uh, available. It's so available. And it's so important. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank God. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your blessing. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Lord, your word is true. You've not made it hard. You've made it very simple. But it does require total consecration. It does require a dedication in a person's heart to practice these simple easy to do things it just once once father i know from experience once that dedication is made once that consecration is made these things are very simple and very easy they're very difficult they're not easy at all if, if full consecration isn't there but once a person makes up his mind that as for me and my house we will serve the lord Starts with me, then my house. Once a person makes up his mind, her mind, that as for me, I will serve the Lord. And as for my house, we will serve the Lord. When that consecration is made, the rest is, is a wonderful journey. A wonderful journey of faith, and victory and triumph and joy and pleasure and rejoicing, gratitude. And the end is grandchildren and great-grandchildren faithful, faithfully following God, faithfully following Jesus, lifting up the banner of Christianity to their generation. That's the joy that's set before us, Father. Glory to God. And so I pray for every parent grandparent, aunt and uncle in this house, Father, that these words would be encouraging, that they would be, that they would be stirred on the inside and motivated to make sure God is the center and the Lord Jesus Christ is the center of everything in their lives, that they, they set their whole life's agenda around obeying God living the Christian life victoriously as overcomers and imparting that to the generation that comes after them. I pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. It's a good day to raise children. 
You say, well, how can you say that this is a terrible time? Look at all the stuff that's going on. Joshua said this in the midst of the Amorites, the Midianites. He said this in the midst of, of cult, the culture all around them, outside of Israel and the cities they took. Outside of those cities all around them were, were devil worshipers, pagan worshipers, some of the most vile and filthy cultures this world has ever known. So much so that God had to send them in sometimes and destroy people because of it. So don't tell me this, this generation we're living in is just, is just too hard. No, no. There's so much light around us and with us and in us. Glory to God. We have so much more than the Israelites had. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.